right now we bring in our good friend from Post Media in Edmonton, Derek Van Deest. Derek, happy summer. How are you? Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well, thanks. I'm doing well, too. Thanks for joining us. And I guess just what everybody needed uh, is some hockey in August in Edmonton, the World Juniors back on. But it doesn't seem like that. I will get into the scandal part of it overall, but uh, tee up the World Juniors for us. And, and I'm hearing ticket sales aren't that brisk. No, they're not. And it's funny. I'm just down here for the opening game. Uh, I think at the che- Czechia and Slovakia is on the ice right now. Um, and they're not because no one here in Edmonton wants to be in a hockey arena in, uh, in the summer. It's just that we get eight weeks of summer. We try to cram in as many nice days as we can and try to enjoy the patio season for as little as it lasts. And I don't think anyone wants to be here. Now, um, I think, yeah, ticket sales are, are reflective of that. I think it's going to be interesting to see there's not a lot of people here for this opening game of the tournament. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens when Canada plays, whether or not people will come out and watch a Canadian team. Like Those are always the tickets that kind of really reflect how the tournament's going to have, what kind of success the tournament's going to have. Uh, in December, they had limited tickets to half, just half the arena capacity, so there's about eight, 9,000 here, which was considered a good crowd. Now there's no, there's no arena capacity, so we're gonna, it's going to be interesting to see when Canada plays tomorrow. Uh, how many people come to watch the, watch them play? And I, but I do think that this is still a hockey town, and once people get past everything that's going on in Canada as well, I think as the tournament goes on, they will gain some momentum, and, and people will eventually show up and, to come watch at least Team Canada. I'm not sure about the rest of the tournament, but at least Team Canada. I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll get some fans. Any indication on tickets? Because I read yesterday, and it was yesterday, so it could have changed dramatically, but there's still about 1,300, I read, available for Canada's first game tomorrow. Yeah, I, I haven't got any numbers from anyone, any definitive numbers. They're being a little coy with those numbers. Uh, if you heard that, that's probably right. I don't think it'll be a sellout. I think they're only using the lower bowl as well. So I think that's the one thing. Uh, so they're only going to use half capacity. I don't believe they've opened the upper bowl just yet. I could be wrong on that, but they don't have us in the press box at this tournament. They have us in the low seating area, which is just above the upper bowl. Fantastic view for press, uh, but that, that leads me to believe that they won't be uh, using the upper bowl. So the lower bowl seats are around 8,000, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how many they get tomorrow. But it's interesting because a lot of the players that were here in December, there's a nine players that, were, that aren't here now, and so there's been a high turnover of the roster just in the last eight months. Uh, but if people, you know, they're selling ticket packages, so I think you get to get an indication if, if you get a certain amount for, for Canada's first game, that's probably what you'll get for the round-robin games. Well, let's get into the scandal part about this, because I'm with you, Derek. I, I thought when this was rescheduled for August, I understood why with the pandemic and, and it needing to be cancelled, but I also thought that, man, I, I don't know, this could be a tough World Juniors just given the fact that it's summer, and the last thing people want to do in Canada in August is go to a hockey rink and, and watch a tournament to, despite the caliber of hockey being played. Then we heard, you know, um, that the roster isn't as full. We know a couple of Jets prospects like Cole Perfetti who was leading the tournament after two games won't be there for various reasons. But then the scandal. How bad has this hurt attendance, do you think, with what's going on with Hockey Canada? Because we know it's hurt them in the pocketbook with sponsors. I think it's hurt them very bad. And I think just, just the more that comes to light when it comes to Hockey Canada and how they handle the whole situation with the sexual assault allegations and then with the slush fund. I think that was a huge problem for a lot of people knowing that uh, Hockey Canada had this slush fund basically coming out of registrations for minor hockey, that part of that registration for minor hockey goes to pay off people or, or protect the players. And I think that, that really sat, sat wrong with a lot of people. I think that's one of the biggest problems I see anyway with Hockey Canada with this. Well, there's a lot of problems, but I think 
that one hit home with a lot of people. That one resonated with a lot of people because if you have a son or daughter that plays hockey and, you're, and you know the registration fees are through the roof and then now you find out that part of that has gone to this slush fund and they've covered up allegations for years and years and years and years, I think that really has, has left a real sour taste in the mouths of a lot of people. And, and right now they just don't want anything to do with Hockey Canada. They don't want to be associated with Hockey Canada in any way. And so it's going to take a lot of time to repair uh, those bridges, but I think that's one of the biggest issues right now, and that's what I'm hearing. I'm not going because I don't want to support Hockey Canada, and uh, and I think a lot of people feel the same way. And I wonder how that goes because once the games start, and I'm not trying to alleviate any of the responsibility that Hockey Canada owes, basically the nation, and and for some of the way they've been handling things. Um, but the guys playing on the team, you know, I, I don't know. Like it, it'll be a fascinating, I think, tournament for me to see what happens as it goes forward. Because as of right now, I totally understand why people don't want to support Hockey Canada at any level. Yeah, and I think that's what organizers are hoping. Organizers are hoping eventually just the hockey will kind of take front and center and and, and leave this behind. I do think that Hockey Canada has to get in front of this, and I do think that changes have to be made at the leadership level. And and this story is not going to go away until some of those changes at the leadership level are made. You almost have to start from from the bottom and and start all over, or, or start from the top and start all over again. And I think that's what a lot of people are calling for. I don't think they, the people that created this mess, I'm not sure that uh, a lot of people are confident that they can fix it. But I do think, yeah, once the hockey starts, and, and it's going to be high quality hockey. This is the World Juniors. are still sending a lot of good, good players here. So I, I do think you're right. I think once the tournament does gain some momentum and, and Canada starts doing well and people start paying interest, then I think the, the rest, hopefully, for Hockey Canada's sake, takes a backseat to the hockey. And it's unfair to paint these kids with the same brush as they're all the other kids. And I think that's the one thing that the message that they've been getting out, hey, these kids are here to represent their country and play for their country. They have nothing to do with the previous scandals. Yeah, and that's what I'm wondering as well. Uh, have, you, have you been hurt? Last thing on that on the scandal aspect of this World Junior Tournament, then we'll get into Team Canada itself, Derek. But are you been hearing anything around this tournament, given the fact that so many sponsors have pulled out in the scandal overhead now that it's underway? Um, I, I know we're waiting for a lot of response from Hockey Canada and haven't heard much of anything. Yeah, and I think a lot of us are too. I th- I'm surprised that they didn't have a press conference here before the tournament. I'm surprised they didn't stand here and answer the questions that maybe they did in Calgary when a few people went to the, the, the development camp or maybe they have in Toronto. But I think the, the, the leadership of Hawk Canada should be sitting here and, and doing a press conference and, and answering those questions. If they want people to come to this tournament, they want people to come to Edmonton, they want people to come to Rogers Place, they should have done a press conference at Rogers Place and say, okay, here's the situation. We'll answer all your questions, but they're 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 being aloof a little bit, and, and you have to try and, and and find answers to questions that you want. And I think that that's that's the way they've always done things. But I think in this situation, things have to change, and you have to be front and center. And I think if you're not front and center, I think that's when people are calling for changes in, in leadership and, and governance and things like that because. Uh, you can't just hope this thing goes away because it's not going to go away. Yeah, very good point. Derek Van Dees, Post Media in Edmonton, joining us actually live from the World Junior Tournament that starts today. Canada starts tomorrow. Uh, tell us about this edition of Team Canada, much different than the one that was there in December. Yeah, it's, 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 so, it's so different. I think they have nine players that weren't here in December. And, and most of the, it's basically a lot of, there's a, there's a few injuries, guys that can't play. I know that the, the Edmonton Oil Kings themselves had five players at this tournament. And they're down to one. So four guys that were with the Edmonton Oil Kings, decided not to play in this tournament for various reasons. I think some are coming off injuries, some are preparing for NHL camp. And I think that's one of the biggest things, too. I remember talking to a lot of kids that were, I was just saying, John in the Memorial Cup, and I talked to a few kids that were on that team 
And a lot of them said, this is disrupting my summer training session. In the summer, I devote you know, June, July, August to, to the gym, to training, to getting bigger, to getting stronger. And if I have to be on the ice for, for three weeks in that summer, that really kind of disrupts my, my training, my physical training, get bigger and stronger. And I think a lot of the, the guys that were going to NHL camps or going to professional turning pro felt that way. And it also for some guys, it felt like, you know what, I'm going to move on to the next level. Uh, I don't want to go back. Basically, it's like graduating high school and then having to go back and play in a high school basketball tournament or something like that. A lot of guys said, no, I'm beyond that. I've moved on. But that just kind of opened the door for some other kids to come in here and get an opportunity to, to represent Canada and put on that Maple Leaf. It's still the strongest team in the tournament. I, I still, they're still favorites to win the tournament. But there has been a lot of turnover in it. And, uh, you know, as Dave Cameron said yesterday, one door closes, another one's going to open. So I think he's kind of embraced the fact that this team has kind of turned over and it's a different-looking team than it was eight months ago. Yeah, and I totally understand that too. It's a different story when you know where you're playing and the season you're at in December. And, and the other idea of just risking injury prior to going to an NHL camp weeks before it um, is an ideal as well. What do you make overall of the tournament now that it's underway? And what are you expecting uh, sort of on the ice? You mentioned high caliber hockey, despite some of the big names that uh, we saw in December won't be there. Well, I think the biggest thing is that in December, these players are, are really they're really in mid-season form when they come to December because they, they got to their training camps in late August and September. They started their season. And when they get to training camp, when they get to the World Juniors, they're in mid-season form. Now they have been off the ice for about three or four months. So I think, I think it's going to be the play is still going to be good, but I think it's going to be a little sloppier. The passes won't be as crisp. I think there's going to be a lot of mistakes. It'll probably be a little wide open, high-scoring games, which which are entertaining for fans to watch. But it won't be as crisp of a tournament because the players won't be in midseason form, and that's what I'm kind of expecting here. It's almost like a preseason tournament. Uh, it's still a high-end, high-caliber tournament, but it'll be it's a preseason tournament. Whereas a lot of these kids haven't been on the ice in a couple of months when they come and went to their respective team training camp, and some of them have only been on the ice for a couple of weeks. So uh, I think that's kind of what we expect and. And it'll be interesting to see, and, and obviously goaltending will play a big factor in this tournament because when, when your defense is kind of not in sync, you need your goalie to stand on his head often. So it's going to be interesting to see who's got the best goalie in this tournament. It's probably going to go a long way. Oh, we appreciate your time and your insight. As always, Derek, uh, enjoy the tournament. We might check in with you as it gets underway further down the road as well. All the best. Sounds good, Jim. Thanks for having me on. into the program right now a local jewelry designer who's opening sugar blossom jewelry today i believe uh, kelly miller joins me now hi kelly how are you hi how are you i'm great first of all how excited are you today but also how long has this been sort of building up to well i'm obviously so excited today <laughs> but yeah um i started this off kind of as a hobby about 10 years ago and my dream was always to open up a store. So I started off first as an online business and our sales had just been really great over the years. And I just decided it was time to open a storefront. So tell us about 10 years ago, you got into designing jewelry. Has that always been a passion for you? Well, yeah, I went to Ryerson. and I took a uh, fashion when, it, when I went to the to university. So, um, I never knew exactly what I wanted to do, but I always loved jewelry. I would take apart like anything I bought and remake it into something else. And I used to get stopped on the street all the time. Um, 
people would be like, can I buy that right off of your wrist? So that's when I kind of knew that I kind of had a knack for it. And, um, and then I just started doing it for fun. And then it became bigger and bigger and it blossomed into what it is today. <laughs> so the reason I like this story is, and we'll get into your store and everything else is a little bit about your background is, is just that, like you sort of take something as a hobby that you like doing. And I think a lot of people have whatever their hobby is and people always go, oh, you should sell that. And most people go, yeah, I guess, you know, whatever. I just like doing it. But you legitimately were like, maybe I should do this. Yeah, exactly. And so I started off um, making everything by hand. My mom would help me so much, too. So we used to make these uh, fabric braided bracelets. We must have made like over a hundred thousand of these bracelets, and we both felt like we were getting like arthritis in our hands. We made literally <laughs> so many of them, and then it kind of got to a point where my business it couldn't really like grow anymore. Like we literally could not physically make any more bracelets than we were producing. So I searched for years to find um, a manufacturer that I was like proud to work with, and I finally found like a great manufacturer. And so that kind of changed the whole course of my business, to be honest. And then I was able to sell like wholesale uh, to large accounts like Indigo, Anthropology, Free People, just to name a few. So and that kind of changed the course of um, my business after that. So, so that's kind of cool. You obviously have a unique eye for this and a unique talent because I think a lot of people do this. But if people are literally walking up to you and going, can I buy that bracelet off you? And I hope you said yes, $8,000 on the spot. But um, <laughs> when people are walking up to you like this, then that means you obviously have a talent that, that sort of stands out as well. So take us through this now because you went online. It was very popular to the point where you wanted to open a store. And then what happened? Well, I mean, I guess like I... I've always loved fashion. Like, um, yeah, I've loved fashion my entire life. Like when I look back at some of the things I maybe wore years ago, it's kind of hilarious. But um, yeah, so I think I do have a good eye for like what, what the trends are, what the trends are going to be. And um, I like, even now I study a lot of like, like fashion shows during like fashion week and things like that to see what what trends are I think going to emerge for the following season so we try to follow that but then keep it within our branding like we don't go over the top when things are so crazy we just kind of do like a minimal version of that and I feel like um, people kind of know that they can trust that our jewelry is on trend and um, I think that's why people keep buying and was it, I, I understand you wanted to open the store, but then the pandemic hit and you had to wait a little bit. You, it, that must have been tough finally getting to the point where you were going to go offline and into an actual store, which we'll get into in a moment. But then, you know, the pandemic hit and, and there was those issues. Uh, kind of. Like for me, I have, I've been actually looking for a storefront for for several years now, but I just hadn't found like the right spot. Cause I didn't, I don't need like a huge space for, for jewelry. Um, so, and I w- wanted to be on a main street and it was just kind of hard to find the perfect place. And then exactly what you said, like during the pandemic, that obviously just wasn't a great time to open a store. So I kind of put that idea on the back burner. And uh, for us during the pandemic, we were really lucky. Um, our online sales were better than ever just cause so many people were shopping online versus going into the store um 
so we were really, really fortunate with that. Um, I mean, our wholesale accounts kind of took a little bit of a hit, so it was kind of bounced itself out. Um, but yeah, and then now that COVID's kind of, um, not that it's gone at all, but people are starting to go back out and shop and go back into stores, I thought it was a kind of a great time to look at actually opening the brick and mortar. Well, you're opening today. Let everybody know where the store is and where they can come <laughs> yeah. down and check out your uh, your line. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So we're we're located at 138 Provence Boulevard, and it's um, right next to the Fromagerie, so it's just over the bridge. Um, yeah, and if uh, anyone wants to pop by, we would love to see you. And uh, also, uh, where can people check out just to see what you offer before they come down and, and yeah, see your unique yeah. designs? Yeah, um, our website is shopsugarblossom.com. Excellent. It must be an exciting day for you to, to go from really 10 years is. ago where people were like, hey, that's a nice piece to, to where you are today. Yeah, it's actually kind of a surreal feeling. It's like a dream come true, to be honest. Well, we'll let you go and we'll let you get to it and enjoy the dream. It's a big day for you. And uh, we just love telling entrepreneurial stories like Aww. this, especially in our city and our province. So thank you for sharing it and all the best. Oh, thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. Kelly Miller, Sugar Blossom Jewelry, opening their first studio store in St. Boniface, 138 Provencher, and uh, shopsugarblossom.com if you want to check it out. Just another entrepreneur that's sort of been waiting for this and and, uh, the issues in the pandemic, but 10 years in the making, and it's finally opening up. And of course, go online and check it out.